0: Welcome to Counterpunch Radio. My name is Eric Dreitzer. I want to thank you so much for tuning in. Now, I guess in theory I should be numbering these episodes, but in a sense, I guess I'm sort of going out of sequence now because, you know, these earth-shaking developments of the last few days with the election of Donald Trump, or maybe I should say the alleged Election of Donald Trump and all of the attendant developments. And so we're going to call this election special episode number three. And I'm very happy to have a uh, a new guest on the program today. He is Robbie Martin, the co-host of the Media Roots podcast with uh, his sister, Abby Martin. He is a filmmaker, excellent film, A Very Heavy Agenda, which we will be discussing today a bit. Uh, veryheavyagenda.com is the website where you can find the information about it. And follow Robbie on Twitter at fluorescent gray uh excited to have him on robbie welcome to counterpunch radio
1: thanks for having me on eric uh
0: so lots to talk about and um i guess we should start with um the So-called president-elect, although that may be in question at this point. But uh, in any case, let's talk about this because, you know, we were regaled with tales of anti-imperialism and isolationism and a transformation of the foreign policy of the United States and the empire under the glorious reign of our dear leader, Donald Trump. Um. Is that true,
1: or is this just kind of more of the same? Well, it seems. I mean, from all the indicators, it seems like it's going to be not just more of the same, but a, a different type of, different flavor of neoconservative foreign policy than we had, you know, in the Obama administration. It might actually be more uh, more similar to George W. Bush's uh, foreign policy yep. in certain ways. Um, just based on some of the people that are already in his close uh, advisory circle, um, people like Rudy Giuliani, um, like James Woolsey, John Bolton, um, Michael Ledeen, and Bill Bennett are actually two neocons who were supporting Trump. Um, they're not part of his advisory circle, but you know the idea that all the neocons went to Hillary is actually inaccurate. Uh, there were a lot of neocons that actually went to Trump. Now, what
0: does that tell us about the nature of this election? Because we were fed a narrative, a narrative that was even prevalent in a lot of the so-called alternative media or the pseudo-alternative media about how Donald Trump was something truly different, that Donald Trump represented a break. From both neoliberalism and neoconservatism, a sort of a hearkening back to a much earlier brand of conservative politics, and and yet, as you point out, it seems to be not true, and I will point to my article of March, uh, uh, March 30th, I believe it was, so a good eight months ago, uh, uh, President Trump, U.S. war machine rolls on. At the time, when we were looking at his advisors, it was a list of neocons and various other uh, assorted degenerates of the right wing, and it was pretty clear to me then that that was the direction this was going, and now that Trump has actually been elected, to the surprise of many people, including me, here we go. And it's ramping up once again, full neocon infestation of this administration. Nothing really, uh, you know, anti-neocon or anti-neolib about it.
1: No, not not at all. I mean, even people like the analysts, you know, not even just the pseudo-alternative media as you referred to it, but like, you know, the more academic analysts were saying well this is basically just a Buchananite style you know uh, lens on foreign policy that Trump is using and they would sort of you know take it seriously they were even taking him sort of at his word but interestingly they weren't looking at the people who were closely advising him they weren't looking and sort of mapping back their previous history in foreign policy making and not just foreign policy making some of the worst foreign policy making but actually profiting off of foreign policy and terrorism uh, fear-mongering, specifically Rudy Giuliani. Um, You know, he has so many different weird uh, business ties that, you know, in some sense I could see how people wouldn't describe him as a neoconservative, but, you know, it actually is starting to make a lot of sense why he was so close to Donald Trump this whole time. Um, And just one of those examples is he actually – has, um, he's a part owner of a company called Skywatch LLC. And it's uh, a company that's developed a digital surveillance grid for monitoring the border between the U.S. and Mexico. And in collaboration with Raytheon, this company basically um, uses drone technology, sensors along the border, um, you know, probably surveillance cameras, things like that. So this, in a way, could be what You know, maybe this was the sort of actual plan for what Trump said when he meant he's going to build the walls. He's actually, you know, collaborating with businessman Rudy Giuliani um, on this bizarre Raytheon uh, venture. Um, So I've actually seen libertarians that I respect uh, going around saying that the defense contractors are um, they've lost. Um, You know, Raytheon lost. Northrop Grumman lost in this election that era is over. And I just am kind of shocked to think of you know the naivety that would require to think something like that.
0: Yeah, it, it's basically a misconception, the notion that Hillary Clinton was the only path to profits for the military-industrial complex, that because of her desire to make wars all over the world, because of her obvious connections to all of the organs of the establishment that she was the clear favorite for the military industrial complex. But as you correctly point out, uh, this is a system that is able to adapt and it's able to bring in seemingly disparate uh, political entities under its orbit. And certainly that's the case with the Trump, with the Trump uh, Giuliani connection. But, you know, we have to interrogate a little bit further. Let's not forget Donald Trump, the so-called isolationist, the so-called, you know, uh, uh, peacenik when it comes to Syria, (laughs) this is the guy who less than a year ago on stage publicly said he was in support of 30,000 U.S. troops into the Iraq-Syria theater. So, uh, you know, I'm just – I'm a little bit blown away by how people are so selectively uh, interpreting and selectively absorbing what it is Trump has said and what he really stands for. It reminds me, and I hate to say it, but it reminds me of 2008 and Obama. Obama on the stage saying, I would bomb uh, Afghanistan and expand the war there. And everyone telling us he was some kind of a peacemaker.
1: No, that's exactly right. I mean, it is almost like an inverse of the hope and change. Yep. Rorschach, uh, you know, sort of (laughs) upside down world of the Obama era. Um, I mean, you know, the Obama uh, election. Um, and it, it is really, really interesting, um, that, I mean, this lack of awareness about how the military industrial complex had a path into the Trump presidency, you know, which somehow people ignored. Um, it's, it's something that, uh, that, that Trump um, was able to hypnotize people into not seeing that, certain people. And I think he was even able to hypnotize the conspiracy theory world, which I've actually not ever seen before in a political landscape. Um, I mean, maybe you can argue that Ron Paul kind of did that a little bit with Alex Jones, and he got some momentum from that. I mean, he probably got a lot of momentum from that, but he was pulling so low uh, you can't really, you know, call that that much of a success. It's hard to metric that. But we've seen Donald Trump even tapping into the conspiracy movement and and having Roger Stone, you know, who claims he's not working for Trump's campaign, going around and sort of dropping these little hints on Alex Jones' show, for example, that Trump knows about 9-11 and he's going to, you know, blow 9-11 wide open. And then Roger Stone will sort of just vaguely hint at that. and um, And now that Alex Jones has been 100% backing Trump. Um, we have this interesting sort of new style of, uh, of political Rorschach, I guess you would call it.
0: Well, it um, was the first time – I think it's the first time that – well, I know. It's the first time that we have seen the uh, – you know what's now become popularly known as the alt right, but specifically that segment of the alt right that is the conspiracy theory world, the Alex Jones, David Icke uh, world, you know that that we all know and cherish. Um, that it's the first time that they've really been made into a legitimate constituency, a a almost a voting block, and that's something I think unique and and actually quite dangerous because they oftentimes cross over the. Line line into what I would call, uh, you know, a a uniquely American form of fascism.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that that's that's very true. I mean, if you look at the large majority of the conspiracy movement, it is mostly um, well-armed, very Christian, uh, and mostly evangelical Christian, who actually believe that some of their politicians are possessed by demons, apparently. I mean, based on some of the new things Alex Jones has been saying leading up to this election, um, and I actually got quite scared. I I went back and watched Alex Jones' reaction to Trump winning, um, and it was pretty horrifying. And I I was thinking to myself, what if he? What if Hillary won? And based on the fact that he's been saying Hillary's a literal demon for the past you know month or so, what if he just said? You know, it's time to it's time to pick up your guns and go to Washington and fight the demons. I mean, you know, maybe this maybe that suggestion would be completely hilarious six or seven years ago. But right now, I mean, he has a a large group of extremely loyal cult like followers that could potentially cause a lot of chaos. Um, and that you know, I don't wanna I don't wanna fear monger about Alex Jones himself, but I mean, I I feel like I'm not being too off the mark by saying that.
0: No, I don't think so at all. If anything, we might be we might be understating uh, just how significant this is, because we have to consider now that um, despite what Trump might actually do, and I have to I have to admit right here that uh, I don't think that. Trump necessarily believes in much of any of the stuff that he's said, and I'm um, entirely convinced that he's totally exploited uh, these people and uh, used them to help him into the White House and will undoubtedly turn on them as soon as he gets the chance, But, but that being said... Um, I do think it's important to recognize that in Donald Trump and in this extreme right wing reactionary administration, you have essentially the Alex Jones conspiracy world with uh, at least some
1: line to state power, some connection to it. That is the it's the most surreal thing imaginable. I mean, it's it is really, really uh, it's hard to wrap your head around what that means. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to right now. I mean, Matt Drudge tweeted, I don't know, it was maybe two years ago, saying that the next few years will be the era of Alex Jones. And people were like, oh, Matt Drudge has you know, lost his goddamn mind. What the hell is he talking about? And then just little by little, um, you started to see the normalization you know, in the right wing media circuit of Alex Jones. I mean, I remember um, going over a uh, relative's house and they actually had, this is back in 2008, and they actually had a copy of The Obama Deception by Alex Jones, like a CDR of it. And I was like, where'd you get that? And they were like, oh, one of my coworkers gave it to me, thought I should watch it. And I remember, you know, that was eight years ago now, but. You've just been seeing more of that, you know, Alex Jones just seeping into the regular dialogue um, and, you know, talking about, you know, this whole idea that now all the, pro, uh, the anti-Trump rallies are somehow uh, George Soros-backed, all of them are artificial. You know, it completely ties into that world um, and Alex Jones will probably go on a show next few days and say that that this is all George Soros funded protests.
0: There's no doubt. I could, I, I would bet my paycheck on that. Um, let me, let me hold off on that aspect of the, uh, or that topic because I do want to touch on that and the question of Soros and the, uh, protests and specifically the kind of, uh, discourse that I'm seeing about that issue. But I want to just finish up this point on Alex Jones because there was, uh, you know, for, for years and years, Alex Jones was a, was, you know, kind of a, you know, a media clown, right? He was a sideshow act. He was, you know, as John Ronson famously wrote in his book, I think it was called Them, you know, where he was, uh, where, where he traveled around and found these various fringe characters and Alex Jones was one of them. It was He was a subject uh, of mockery and we've seen, as you said, I think quite eloquently, the normalization or the mainstreaming of Alex Jones and that brand of conspiracy far-right thinking and the melding together of that Alex Jones world with the very powerful and very influential Breitbart network, that coming together into, let's call it a new media block, that is something that we are going to have to contend with in the coming
1: years, and it's something that is going to be very powerful and very dangerous. I, I couldn't agree more I mean the more I'm sitting here thinking about it, the more terrifying it's its feeling um of what that could look like uh but it, it is uh it, we've never really seen anything like it before. I guess the only thing you can really compare it to is when they you know they lifted the fairness doctrine and right wing media exploded on the airwaves i mean like right wing talk radio um but it's it's so much more intense than that. I mean, on on several levels. Um, and, not, and I mean, all you have to do is watch these videos of Alex Jones crying, uh, tears running down his face, thinking that Hillary Clinton is a literal demon who controls a child sex trafficking ring. And this is what kind of information he's putting out to his audience. Now, I could understand it if he, he was going through the Podesta emails and pointing out all the times that, you know, the DNC uh, rigged the election against Bernie Sanders and things like that. I, you know, I could I can understand you know going hard on Hillary Clinton with that kind of stuff, but these people were reading tea leaves in the Podesta emails, thinking that they had blown wide open a child sex trafficking ring that involved everybody from you know Huma Abedin to Anthony Weiner to Dennis Haster to the Podesta brothers. And I mean, when you really prime people's Minds with that kind of information and that kind of hysteria, you're putting people in an almost like a, a malleable state. I mean, it is a form of—I wouldn't call it necessarily Stockholm syndrome—but you're you're priming their consciousness for almost just you know believing in anything. You know, it, I mean, <laughs> I don't know if you can follow my thought there, but it's like you're somehow like priming people's minds um, to for like further hysteria.
0: Yeah, of course, because if you normalize the idea that she's a demon, then then by definition, everything that is in opposition to your views and your uh, perspective is the work of the devil. In other words, you have now you have now made metaphysical the material reality of our politics. And that's very dangerous because that's the difference between fighting
1: a war and fighting a jihad. <laughs> yeah I mean, it's almost like a Salem witch trial merging with modern political landscape. I mean, you could almost see the trajectory of where it could go if Alex Jones actually has a bigger and bigger megaphone during this time period. I mean, I guess the only positive flip side to it is maybe he's going to be bored you know now that his his bro Donald Trump got into office, he won't be as focused on calling Hillary Clinton a demon. It as much.
0: Well, no, he'll he'll instead be focused on genuflecting as much as possible and finding every uh, excuse <laughs> and mental contortion to explain away each and every betrayal <laughs> that Donald Trump will execute because that's what's going to happen. And that'll
1: be really that'll be fascinating to watch. Oh,
0: it'll be fun to watch him, you know, writhing uh, and and wriggling around trying to find ways to explain it away. But at the same time, we have to keep in mind a couple of other elements, and this is just to kind of finish the point on. Alex Jones here uh, that that eight years ago, the kinds of things that Alex Jones was talking about while some, you know, Every once in a while you'd hear something that you agreed with, surrounded by, you know, a, a cocoon of bullshit. Um, it was it was fringe and it was almost like, you know, seeing, you know, the 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 freak show at an old carnival or something, you know, it was like entertainment almost. But in the time since then, we have to keep in mind that as much as I hate Obama, and I hate Obama for the warmongering and the massacres and the deportation and Libya and all of the things that he has done. We have to we have to be honest about the fact that so many of the haters of Obama are doing it out of this kind of white supremacist racist attitude that they have towards the black president and in that time, economically, everything has gotten worse. They have they have found themselves in an even worse situation, even more prone to the kind of rage and hysteria that he's feeding on. So it is, in in many ways, like climate change, it's sort of this feedback loop where it only accelerates exponentially uh, to the point where, sadly and, and frighteningly, it can spin out of control.
1: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I mean it's uh it is a really scary time. I mean, even just from a media perspective. Um because you know, whether you take Alex Jones seriously or not, InfoWars is now a flank of the US government. I mean the the, the future president elect. Um so Jesus
0: yeah it's true i you know I, I actually, as we're having this conversation right now is the first time i'm really kind of thinking through it all the way and sort of playing this out in my mind and it is rather terrifying because, look, I mean, we do have precedents for some of the things that we can expect, for instance, in Britain, after the Brexit vote, you had a minister of parliament murdered on the street by a far-right lunatic who is, you know, like a David Icke, Alex Jones, uh, Britain first, English Defense League kind of fascist type, who shouted Britain first as he murdered her. Now, that is completely ignored in the media for the most part, but think about what would happen if you saw some far-right lunatic go out and murder Elizabeth Warren on the street or you know some or some state senator democrat state senator or something like that i mean these type of things are very real possibilities
1: yeah i mean we already saw what happened with um gabby gifford yeah exactly I mean, yeah and that and you know that arguably you know could have been just a mass shooter who decided you know you know we have a lot of mass shooters in this country so but i think what you just described is a more you know is a is a warning of what we should be
0: expecting. Absolutely. It. And I think too many people are sleeping on it. I think that, you know, uh, people are fond of calling uh, calling us, um, well, I shouldn't say us, but me, an alarmist when I talk about rising fascism and fascist ideologies, when I talk about the, the mainstreaming of these things and the infiltration of left politics with fascist uh, uh, ideologies and fascist ideas and conspiracy mongering. And that leads me to something that you were mentioning earlier. Uh, about the anti-Trump protests and this narrative, which is going around being peddled by everyone from Alex Jones to Russian media outlets to Breitbart and God knows who else, that, you know, each and every protest Each and every protester is little more than a plaything and a puppet of George Soros and that this is entirely manufactured and, uh, you know, that not only should they be discounted, disregarded and marginalized, but that they should be actively crushed.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think most of these people, you know, they I don't know where most of these people are from, but I don't think they've actually been to one of these kinds of protests before. I mean, all you had to do was go to one or two Occupy protests, you know, Occupy Oakland are the ones that are nearest to me, and, uh, you know, you you see the difference between some of the more organized protesters who are are given signs or, you know, they're part of some coalition or something, like move on or something like that, and, and the organic protests, and it's dwarfed, you know by the organic protest. I mean, clearly, you know, I, I mean, I don't know what percentage, but it's, it's, I mean, it, it just shows a lack of awareness and, you know, they don't have the experience going to protests first of all, but then it's, it is something I think that really dug its heels in during the black lives matter, uh, protest, this the conspiracy theory that you're talking about where, you know, they'll, Draw a connection between, you know, like I just saw one today where it was like, look at these four Craigslist ads
0: yeah, you know, in yeah. four
1: different parts of the country that <laughs> yeah. that were move on related groups trying to recruit protesters for anti-Trump protests. And yeah. that was their whole that was the that was the magic uh, the golden key that solved the whole puzzle for everybody.
0: It was the so. golden ticket that got them into the chocolate factory <laughs> of their dreams. Yeah, uh, of their conspiracy dreams. But the truth is that, um, well, first of all, I saw the same thing. And it's so unbelievably stupid. Uh, if, okay, let's leaving aside the fact that anybody can put up a Craigslist ad anytime and take us take a screenshot of it and say that they found it online. I mean, let's leave aside that point for a second. Um, we know the model that MoveOn and the other groups use. We saw this already. It's like I'm having – Robbie, I'm having this like really – um uh just distasteful experience of like you know it's like i'm it's like i'm i'm, I'm vomiting back up things that i've long ago swallowed and, and 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 forgotten you know we already went through this in the bush years we already we already learned our lesson about what move on is and what it isn't we already know what 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 the co-optation of protest by the democratic <laughs> party is and how that functions this isn't some kind of breaking story you know but there but 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 we also know that move on is not the entire movement. You know, I mean, I was involved in anti-war protests uh, leading up to the Iraq war. That was one of the formative political experiences of my life that put me on this path. And I know that Move On was there and all of these other organizations, but I also know there were hundreds of thousands of people on the streets, millions around the world. And they weren't all there because they were being paid and the movement wasn't controlled by Move On or anything like this. It was just a part of a much larger puzzle. Why is that so difficult?
1: I think just people like to – it's kind of like the Arab Spring in a way. I mean, and I definitely think that, you know, the CIA in, in ways were meddling in the Arab Spring. We know they were, based on various things that WikiLeaks released. But it's kind of reminds me of that, where it was like, well, if this is happening in all these different Arab countries, then it must be some kind of conspiracy. Yep. Except in this case, it's even more ridiculous, because you and I have been to probably many of these protests. You went to the Iraq War protests, as you know, Um, extremely formative for your path and you know going to occupy protests was sort of my you know big entry point into seeing what that was like and then and then having you know riot cops and and, you know coming at you and stuff like that so it was a it was a huge education for me and I, I just don't think most people go have seen what it's like so I think it just that allows them to be able to just imagine well yeah I see these things on TV you know, I see these screenshots on Drudge of like, um, you know, uh, the stuff in Ferguson and all that stuff. And they they just it, it, it fits together for them. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't even know if um, I'm kind of wondering what how long this these anti-Trump protests will go on for. I mean, my sister uh, was at one of them uh, the night after the election and uh, she said it was extremely Uh, huge Um, and I think they actually put dump trucks filled with sand around Trump Tower uh, because of the protest or I don't know if they were expecting such a big protest but they already had like bomb deterrent security measures um, surrounding his building so um, I don't think it should surprise anyone there's massive anti-Trump protests all over the country. I mean, why, how is that not believable? Well, here's the other
0: thing that I, that, that really, uh, pisses me off about, about the reactions I've seen from a lot of people on social media. And that is this, this really condescending, uh, attitude that, that basically says something like, Well, why should I give a crap about these protesters? Because they weren't around the last eight years. They weren't protesting Obama doing this and the Democrats doing that. They're just dupes and shills for the Democratic Party and they're Hillary lovers and blah, blah, blah like that narrative, which is so uh, uh, flawed and distorted. First of all, it's clear to anybody who's talked to people on the streets in these protests that it is not mostly Hillary supporters. In fact, the Hillary supporters are the ones telling everyone to calm down and have a peaceful transition. (laughs) You know, it's 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 angry people. It's angry young people. It's especially angry young people of color who are coming out on the streets and that's a great thing you know and and this is the point too well why weren't they protesting the war in Libya and the war in Syria and and, and all of these things well, the truth is that those issues are kind of complex and they require a little bit of examination and study. You have to go to alternative sources. You have to look at various historical reference points. You got to read a lot. You got to know a lot. Imperialism is a complex thing, it's a complex machine, and you have to kind of learn about it before you can really understand its machinations. Whereas, Racism, white supremacy, outright fascism, these things impact on a visceral level. You don't have to know a ton about international geopolitical issues to know that racists need to be confronted and smashed. And, and this is what these people don't get, that just because a lot of these people were not standing with you when you were protesting against the war in Syria like I was, doesn't mean you just throw them in the garbage and disregard everything that's happening.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I I like to take more of a big big tent approach, you know, to things in general when it comes to like, you know, protest movements and stuff. So, I just think it's just more examples of the fracturing of the the so called left or the pseudo alternative left, and just you just see, you know, all these ways to, I mean, I, I just I can't understand why someone wouldn't have solidarity with the anti Trump protests. I mean, just for the reasons that you just said. I mean, it, it all these issues are so visceral and not that complex that it should be understandable to almost anyone. I mean, even even just if even if you like Trump and you don't agree that he's racist, dog whistling. Let's just you know put that out there for a second. Um, that you would at least agree that the media, you know, in and of itself, sort of you know, made it seem like it was going to be the end of the world. So why wouldn't the public react this way? I mean, there's so many reasons um, to understand it. So that's, I guess, why it it bugs me is because it just shouldn't be questioned this much. So, you know, maybe it's something else the Trump campaign is putting out, you know, into conspiracy culture, uh, just like they have been doing during the whole campaign. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I guess it's a chicken in the egg thing. I mean, is the is the Trump campaign is the Trump campaign utilizing and exploiting the conspiracy networks, or is it is it really that the conspiracy networks are kind of using and exploiting this moment? Or maybe both?
1: Yeah, I think it's both. I mean, I think Roger Stone just in and of himself has been a proxy for disseminating a lot of this, you know, pro Trump Uh, spirit among the conspiracy culture
0: but Rob well you know what let's take a quick break because I, I gotta continue on that point because there are historical parallels that I think we need to draw from that but let's just take a quick break on the other side of the break I'll pick it up right there with Robbie Martin again uh, his work is pretty brilliant you gotta check out A Very Heavy Agenda go to AVeryHeavyAgenda.com excellent uh, excellent movie or ex- documentary I guess we should say series documentary series and uh, Media Roots of course the Media Roots podcast and Fluorescent Grey at Fluorescent Grey on Twitter uh, stick with us we will be right back
2: At your front door How you gonna come With your hands on your head Or on the trigger of your gun When the law break in How you gonna go Shot down on the pavement All waiting on death row. You can crush us, you can bruise us, but you have to answer to oh the guns of Brixton. Money feels good, and your life you like it well, but surely time will come As in heaven, as in hell You see, he feels like Ivan Born under the Brixton sun His game is called surviving At the end of the heart they come You know, it means no mercy They caught him with a gun for the black we are Goodbye to the Brixton sun You're gorgeous You can true love, yeah even shoot us But all
0: here on Counterpunch Radio. I'm chatting with Robbie Martin. Um, I want to pick up right where we left off there, Robbie, before the break, because, you know, this question about, um, you know, the, the the conspiracy networks and, um, you know, what exactly the relationship between them and Trump is, I think that this is a very important question. But here's another question that I want to pose to you. Is the Quote unquote, Soros is the mastermind behind all of this. Do you see that as really an extension of certain historical parallels that we can point to? For instance, I give you one. The notion that Soros is the puppet master behind everything is the, is really just an extension of the Rothschild Jew banker conspiracy, where the Rothschild family secretly controls the entire world. Uh, Soros being a Jew banker, Rothschilds being Jew bankers, uh, you see the connection here. Uh, the Jews hmm. are the 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 evil uh, puppet masters behind everything, and Soros is this left. Uh, liberal, progressive, you know, demon, so to speak. Now, consider that also the forefathers of this alt-right movement are the right wing, Uh, reactionaries who say in the 1960s said that Martin Luther King and the civil rights movement was a communist conspiracy to destroy America, to destroy, to, 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 you know, bring America into the full uh, fold of the international communist conspiracy. To me, this is really just a reiteration, uh, uh, you know, a manifestation of that same kind of right-wing racist white supremacist paranoia.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it definitely is that. I mean, the interesting thing I find about just if we're going to talk about Alex Jones specifically, since right now he's kind of on the top of that pyramid, is that he. Pyramid with an open
0: eye, by the way, let's be clear.
1: (laughs) He, you know, and I do think there's definitely some truth to the idea that the banker conspiracy stuff is like, you know, some of it's definitely coded anti Semitism, and, and a lot of it probably is. And Alex Jones definitely talks about that, but I don't, I don't see much like overt anti-Semitism or even like coded anti-Semitism beyond sort of the banker stuff on his platform directly. But I definitely agree that it has a line going back uh, to what you're talking about. I mean, George Soros is an extension. You know, the George Soros is the puppeteer behind everything is definitely an extension of that sort of Rothschilds um, conspiracy stuff, um, and. I don't – yeah, I don't know what to make of it. I mean it definitely is, is dangerous um, and it seems like you know, the real anti-Semitism the, it comes out in the form of like YouTube comments and comments under Alex Jones' articles and his videos and stuff. So that's interesting to see is the you – know, even if he's not doing you know, coded anti-Semitism on his show, um, it's still coming out from his audience
0: yeah we see it all over twitter with the hashtags or with the uh you know the parentheses around certain keywords and certain key names the parentheses of course uh indicating whether somebody is a jew or not uh we see a lot of that but you know let's 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 step back for a second because everything has a you know uh roots in something in in something that came before it and i i think that we can see a lot of the parallels in the 1960s. You had a vibrant social justice movement, the civil rights movement, Martin Luther King. You also had the rise of black radicalism, Malcolm X, and you know uh, a lot of different a lot of different social movements. Of course, the uh, you know the 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 uh, student movement that was that was in its infancy at that point, the anti-war movement as well. All of these things were happening at once, and the reaction against all of that was you know this hard right-wing racist conspiracy mongering that, uh, I think it in many ways had its expression in Barry Goldwater in 1964, but even earlier coming out of the John Birch society in Wisconsin, a lot of those, a lot of those same individuals, including, um, um, oh gosh, what's the guy's name? I'm blanking on it right now. It'll come to me. He just died recently. Uh, Sort of the godfather of this international, you know, Martin Luther King being the puppet of an international communist conspiracy. I see a direct parallel here and I don't think it's any, I don't think it's any accident that these things have happened at this particular moment and in this way.
1: Well, it's definitely worth considering, um, you know, if this was sort of you know, set up to happen in, in some way with injecting this kind of information into conspiracy theory culture, um, because it definitely took me off guard of just how real, real you know, this became uh, that that people like Alex Jones now are are this official um, and and you know have have sort of joined together with a with a current presidential administration. So, I think what you're saying is is very possible um, that this is. You know, be, and, and and you know, there are a lot of parallels also to what happened in the 1960s with the Cold War, um, just on a foreign policy level. And so, I definitely think we're we are in this sort of a repeat of previous American eras of just off the rails hysteria, um, and how that's going to play out is going to be uh, nerve wracking to watch because I think that you know, all that hysteria that even just built up from the election, it felt like an emotional trauma. I was just talking about this, um, this idea of how traumatic it's already been, even before, you know, we knew that Trump was president. Um, and I just think that that's, that's not an accident. You know, it's things are, things seem to be, um, ratcheting up for some kind of, uh, you know, some something, and I, and I, I, you know, I don't want to sound too fear but it does, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like it's going in a good direction. Well, the scary uh, thing, the scary thing is, Robbie,
0: that you know, uh, let's, if we assume that the parallel I'm making is a valid one, even if it's not a perfect one, that there are, that there are at least points of intersection, points of similarity. The difference is that in 1964, Goldwater lost in a landslide. And that movement was more or less crushed politically. And uh, the 60s played out as they did. Johnson, you know, Vietnam expands in Vietnam and so forth. But this time they won. And I think that is materially different. And I think that we need to consider what that means and what that means for the future of social movements, what that means for the future of the left, what that means for the future of social justice.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's gonna take a lot of deep thinking and strategizing because I think everybody I know was taken off guard by it. I think most people were, and um, I think that the media sort of misdirected our focus, and even even a lot of the you know left or alternative media did away from the important things that were actually going to impact people and just politics and resistance moves in this country after you know he actually became president so um you know and in a way i blame myself too for not you know taking you know not you know thinking being so sure that hillary was going to win this me too um yep i did not uh i did not look as closely into what his actual administration could be like as i should have
0: well, I, I, I looked at what his administration would potentially be like, or at least the people who were surrounding him and whispering, you know, sweet nothings of foreign policy and stuff into his ear. But uh, what I didn't what I didn't believe was that uh, that the that, that big capital would dump Hillary. And that's what they did. They dumped Hillary. She they, they must have seen her as too much of a liability, too weak. Uh, somebody who wasn't going to achieve what they wanted to. And instead, they obviously shifted to Trump. And, and, and I think that that's an important point. Now, I, I just had Bob Fetrakis on this program, and um, we were talking about the inconsistency, the discrepancy in the uh, final results and what I think to be clear and quite damning evidence that the election was stolen for Trump, just as it was stolen for Bush in 2000 and in 2004 and in very similar ways. And so my question to you is if we were to assume that either that's true or at least that, that possibility exists, what does that mean for the, for, for organizing against Trump and in trying to undermine this presidency? In other words, is there a potential to use the issue of uh, election fraud to delegitimize what is, in my view now, an illegitimate government entering the White House?
1: God, I hope so, because I've been I mean, I've been seeing some stuff about that. Uh, Mark Crispin Miller has been posting a bunch of stuff now about Mark's that. Mark's about to be on this show in a couple of days. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm really interested to find out more about it. its I haven't had my focus on that recently but I I mean goddamn let's hope so because I I think that I guess the the conspiratorial side of me you know with that keeping in mind that the election was stolen similar to George W Bush if that is indeed true is we could be looking at something similar to a George W Bush style presidency where for some reason or another an aspect of the deep state if you wanna call it that seemed to be absolutely hell-bent on getting the presidency no matter what. Um, this cabal of neoconservatives in George W. Bush's administration. And I shudder to think what that could mean for this administration, where I think Donald Trump in and of himself is a narcissist and an egomaniac and definitely unhinged in certain ways. But I, I, I could see him easily having the wool pulled over his eyes in terms of you know, foreign policy advice. Or just how the government works. And he's surrounding himself with people that I believe in some way or another operate within s- sort of this deep state apparatus. Oh, I mean right one of the now. scariest examples of that is James Woolsey, yep. a former CIA director under Bill Clinton. Um, he, uh, he was heavily tied to the, sort of the idea that Saddam Hussein uh, was behind 9-11. He was the first guy to go on television – on the day of 9-11 and say, there's a lot of evidence that suggests Saddam Hussein did this. And he continued to say it for days afterwards. And, uh, yeah, I mean, James Woolsey in and of himself is terrifying to me. Um, And, you know, maybe that sounds like a minor thing to some people, that he just went out there and put out uh, (laughs) Iraq war propaganda. But he also has odd um, associations with the anthrax attacks. And so does Rudy Giuliani. Um, who actually made a lot of money after the 2001 anthrax attacks from his company called Bio BioOne. Um, it was a company founded by him that decontaminates buildings with biological weapon attacks or, or biological weapon infections like anthrax. Um, and he... Well, that's ad- convenient. Uh, it's extremely convenient. And he made a killing after 9-11, not just from the actual tar- um, buildings that were targeted with anthrax, because keep in mind, we only found maybe four or five letters um, that were you know, sent to these media offices and politicians. But in addition to that, a bunch of uh, uh, countless uh, establishments, media organizations got copycat letters. So there was his company, Bio One, cleaning up um, copycat anthrax letter attacks for the next um, four or five years. So after 9-11 um so these type of things to me raise some scary possibilities um and i won't go too much into that but um but i i think we're looking at a you know a potential uh let's say the final stage of of a consolidation of power that a, a certain sect of the george w bush era wasn't able to consolidate before absolutely
0: i think that's a great way to put it and um um i think that We should also keep in mind that a lot of those neocons who uh, came out publicly supporting Hillary Clinton will have absolutely no problem going right into the Trump camp anyway. So, you know, I mean, where... Kagan and Max Boot and Elliot Cohen and, and all of these type of people who were publicly, you know, backing Hillary as the much better option against Trump, um, all their buddies are on the Trump side anyway already. So they'll just backdoor their way right back into the White House. And, you know, I don't think it's even really that much of a secret. So, you know, this whole notion that Trump's uh, ideological posture is somehow anathema to all these neocons is complete. It's complete bullshit.
1: Yeah, it absolutely is. I mean, again, he was able to sort of use this hypnotic power that he seems to have, you know. And I and I and I think that he does um, to capture all these different little segments of political culture in the United States by dropping, you know, hints or just making, you know, up uh, things that he saying that he's anti the Iraq War. Or that he's anti the you know the the Syrian rebels um you know being funded by the CIA in Syria those kind of things are definitely meant to appeal to a certain you know r- relatively obscure segment of uh, the voting population I think maybe not so much the Iraq war stuff but the stuff he was saying about Syria I think was meant to capture the left you know a part of the left um, and and I think that he did succeed in some ways of doing that where. You know and even the you know the, also the conspiracy stuff, having people by proxy or even him directly using conspiracy theory culture language like globalist,, yep. or having Roger Stone dropping hints about how Trump's gonna blow open the 911 investigation. Um, I think all of those things were done by design. I do not you know at the time they were happening, it definitely seemed like he was flying by the seat of his pants to me on some of those issues. But looking back on all of it, I really do think there was a larger, maybe a more complicated strategy than we were giving him credit for because of all of his crazy – personality issues
0: I totally agree all the focus I totally agree 100% and I think I vastly underestimated the uh, sophisticated nature of the kind of campaign that was being run the sophistication of the targeting of the I guess you could almost call it uh, you know micro constituencies or something like that Um, and I think that's absolutely true and then if we accept that if we accept that premise then that now raises the question that I was alluding to earlier about the stealing of the election. That makes the stealing of the election all that much more scary because then this has been orchestrated from a for from much further out than maybe we would have thought. And I just want to you know I I already covered these numbers in the other episode, but I just want to throw these out. And I know you haven't seen it. I didn't send this to you beforehand, Robbie. But just quickly, North Carolina discrepancy of of 5.9%, Pennsylvania, a discrepancy of 5.6%, Wisconsin, a discrepancy of 4.9%, and Florida, a discrepancy of 2.6%. North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Florida, all of them over the 2% threshold. 2% is the threshold at which the United States will not recognize election results in other countries.
1: So That's, that is fascinating when I, the, yeah,
0: yeah. So, so we have a discrepancy between the exit poll numbers and the final vote count in, in, in every key state that, that Trump won. This is way beyond
1: coincidence. Oh, it's extremely troubling to say the least. I mean, it's, and I, and I don't think it's unfortunately it's not on anyone's radar right now. I mean, no one's talking about it. Even, you know, alternative left media people like to, young turks are you know kind of trying to tamp down some of the outrage out there um and uh i think that it's it really needs to be examined and and based on what we just talked about i think it it uh, absolutely needs to be looked at um and 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 people need to be spreading this information but i'm curious right now I saw an LA Times poll the morning of the election and it was one of the only I guess general election it was I think it was just showing the popular vote um trends that showed Trump winning um on election day and I'm wondering if that poll cuz it seemed to be the most accurate one if it has electoral college you know state by state uh versions of the same whatever polling algorithm they use cuz that would be interesting to look at see if if that one was divergent on the states because Hillary ended up um, winning the popular vote is that, is that true yeah she won
0: the popular yeah, won the vote. vote okay yep. you know yeah I don't know I, I don't know that poll specifically um, what I do know is that I was skeptical uh, until I looked at the numbers myself and until I really you know thought about it carefully and I read about what it means to have a greater than 2% discrepancy between exit polls and vote counts. That is uh, way beyond uh, margin of error. That is way beyond just statistical anomaly. And the fact that of uh, the, um, the I think it's, I forget exactly the number, but I think it's 25 states where you had a, a significant discrepancy uh, on nearly all, of, well, actually all of the, 25 of 28
1: major ones all went to Trump. Yeah, it's it it's, it sounds really Really suspicious. Today.
0: And then, and then we know already documented about how it was stolen from Bernie Sanders for Hillary Clinton using a very similar methodology. And if you look at the exit polling data in those primaries, it paints a very similar, if not identical, picture. So it seems to me like they did it twice in this election and they deliberately stole it from Sanders only to then steal it from Clinton for Trump. And I can't believe I'm saying it because just a couple of weeks ago, I was not only convinced that Hillary would be president, that the establishment would never allow her not to be. And here we are, and I'm looking at the data, and I'm, I am I, I, I have to admit, not only was I wrong, I'm blown away.
1: I feel the exact same way you do. I mean, I, I thought I had theories in my own mind. <clears throat> I don't. I didn't really say very many of them on my own podcast about it, but – I mean, I thought the same thing. I, I completely thought that there would be some way to throw it to Hillary because it seemed like to me the quote-unquote, you know, the mainstream media was fully tilted towards Hillary. So I, I started to get that in my head and, and it is <clears> – <throat> I think that, you know, this this really needs to be I, – I echoed, a, um, you know, a more and more by more people. I just – I'm just sort of astonished at what you're telling me. I, I didn't realize the discrepancies were that big between the states. So, yeah, that's really, really troubling. I mean, you, check it out. You have, a, you have almost a 13%
0: discrepancy in Utah. You have uh, almost 11% in Missouri. Uh, you have – and then, of course, the big ones are the ones were, that were actually flipped – Meaning the discrepancy was wide enough to throw it to the, to the other opponent. So that would be North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Florida. Without those states, Trump is nowhere.
1: Oh my God. i yeah, I'm just, I'm, now I'm kind of actually really scared. I mean, (laughs) that's the only way to put it. Um, So, you know, I, I think that that's, I think that that's
0: a key question that we have to be asking now how did this happen and how do we popularize the notion correct that i i, I believe that the trump administration is 100%
1: illegitimate oh, i i don't know i i wish i had an answer for you i mean i think w- one way is to just chip away at, at the his the, the advisors he has but the yeah the I mean the election fraud thing definitely should be the number one issue right now I mean, if what you're telling me all lines up and checks out, um, we 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 just need to get it out there.
0: Yeah. Hey, everybody! Everybody who wants to know this, none of this data is mine. This is Jonathan Simon's data. He's done this on multiple elections already. CodeRed2016.com. These are uh, uh, exit poll numbers sourced from CNN. Okay, and I believe it was Edison Polling Group, which is like well-respected, well-known polling agency that was that was conducting these exit polls. So this is mainstream data of freely available in the public domain. And look at the numbers. Now, here's the last thing, because I know we're probably way over the time already, Robbie. But here's the here. Here's the other question that I that I I, got to throw out here there is another danger that i think is not being discussed and um paul street and i kind of touched on this in another episode i think that there is a very real possibility that now that trump has been elected and this administration is coming into power trump will quickly be impeached and we will end up with a christian fascist mike pence as president
1: i mean i i think in a way i almost think that he might be Sort of the real president, exactly. You know, already yep. in a sense, because he seemed. You know, for, there's a lot of uh, indications that Trump actually maybe didn't want to govern that much, and he just wanted to become president. You know, just because he's a narcissist and an egomaniac, um, and it was the ultimate prize. Um, and he even had his son tap uh, Kasich. Um, when he was uh, still in the primaries to ask him if he wanted to be a VP. Um, And he told Kasich that he would be the most powerful vice president in history and be in charge of foreign and domestic policy. Um, And if that sounds really weird, it's because it is, because that is essentially what a president should be in charge of. Yeah, Um, and it's essentially what the George (laughs) Bush-Dick Cheney relationship was. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, and Mike Pence, um, is another character here who, you know, I can, I can go into his, um, uh, his gay conversion therapy that he championed. I can go into stuff like that, but I'd rather mention that he is one of the main neoconservative Republicans who kept the myth alive that Iraq was behind the 2001 anthrax attacks. Um, and he actually was still, making uh, a storm about it in the media um, leading up to uh, the Colin Powell UN speech. So someone asked me um, a few weeks ago, you know, it seems like the anthrax uh, by Saddam Hussein story kind of died down right after, you know, 2002 rolled around, but actually, no, Mike Pence kept the story alive um, right up until the actual run up to the Iraq war. So. I'm just, it's just curious to me that three people who have some connection or another, either they were involved in anti-bioterrorism stuff before uh, the actual attacks or involved in running propaganda for actual bioterror attacks after, um, are all part of his administration. And I think that should be looked at. A little yeah. more closely. And
0: I think that I think that it's it should be a given uh, for anybody who's been paying attention that Trump is a criminal with uh, any number of uh, criminal actions that that may or may not be held against him that may that he may or may not be blackmailed with and uh, ultimately I think that it is entirely likely that he will be impeached probably sooner rather than later and if that happens and we end up with a President Pence. With the kind of administration that Trump is putting together. See, the only thing, if you want, if you want to give the benefit of the doubt 100% to, to Trump, the only thing standing in the way of outright, extreme right-wing fascist policies being enacted in the United States is Trump himself, because he's not really an ideologue of that kind. He's not really... I don't know that he believes much of anything. But if he does, it, I, I think he's probably somewhere center-left, really. And so, you know, if you consider it in a bizarre, ironic way, Trump is the one who's preventing the real fascists from taking over. It's fucked. I mean, the whole thing is fucked.
1: Oh, yeah. No, it, it, is, it is extremely terrifying when you put it into that context. Because... You know, as fascistic and as um, horrible as Trump was acting, where people were, you know, basically saying he himself was the new Hitler, they missed where the real fascism yep. that was coming from. I guess, in a way. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's crazy. I uh, I
0: I I feel some sense of responsibility. I mean, obviously, I'm not responsible for Trump winning the election. Obviously, but. I do feel like I dropped the ball a little bit on on some of this. I I think I I think I underestimated Trump and I underestimated the forces aligned behind him and I underestimated how powerful uh, those forces were. And I think maybe it's possible that I overestimated the notion of a consensus within the ruling class. Uh, I believed that there was a consensus among the ruling establishment, the power elites for Hillary Clinton and that she was an inevitability, a 100% certainty and now, I feel not only was that analysis wrong, I feel
1: like I've like I was duped. Yeah, I feel that way too. I mean, that's the strange thing about it is like, you know, my my conspiratorial uh, self um, feels as if we've just been completely misdirected towards some kind of you know, oh, of course this is going to happen, and then the complete opposite happened. Um, and it just, it's so jarring. I'm still processing what that means. I mean, it's not even the stages of grief of realizing that Trump is the, you know, president elect. It's also this idea of it's super jarring what you just described of being pulled towards this inevitability. I started to completely buy into the media narrative that he had no chance, um, and little by little, I just was like, "Oh, of course, Hillary's going to win this." And then just boom—you know—the complete reverse. Uh, it's, it doesn't really feel like anything else I've experienced, where the media didn't get the narrative that they were, you know, leading us towards. I guess you could say.
0: <laughs> yeah, and 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 the 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 point that I've made is that it 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 makes me. Question: Some of the assumptions that I guess I had been operating under, and specifically uh, the assumption that the that there would be essentially a consensus within the power circles, and I think it's clear that there was not a consensus, and that there were a lot of power brokers and elites who were more or less, you know, hedging their bets one way or another and waiting and waiting and waiting and then ultimately pushed in their chips behind Trump because maybe they felt that Hillary was too weak, maybe she was too compromised, maybe she wasn't popular enough to get things done that they wanted to get done. I don't know what the what the reasoning was. But when it happened in 2008, it was clear. You saw the Wall Street money and you saw it shift from Hillary to Obama. Uh, And so I could see, you know, months out what was happening. And you knew that Hillary was going to collapse and that Obama was going to get that nomination and ultimately the presidency. I, I, I was not surprised one bit when that happened. In this case, I have to admit that I was definitely blindsided. I didn't see it coming.
1: Yeah. it it was a complete shock. Um, so
0: (laughs) I, I don't know what else to say. That's a weird point to end the conversation. Uh, but, uh, Anyway, I think that there's a lot of elements here. We're just you know processing through it, and and a lot of pieces need to be put together. The legitimacy question needs to be out there, needs to be front and center. The legitimacy of the results of this election, but also we need to be we need to be really considering where this is going because you know for all the talk about Hillary Clinton starting World War Three with Russia, which I think was a very real uh, danger. For all of that. Now it's time to completely shift our thinking and focus on the dangers that are facing us from this coterie of far-right fascist or uh, quasi-fascist elites that are now in control. And, you know, we better
1: do something. Yeah, we just have to learn everything about them right now. It's really the only thing we can do. And, uh, you know, the better you know your enemy, I suppose. But um, I, I think we are largely screwed um, because I think it's going to take a while for people to even process what just happened. I mean, the general public, but even just the media class. I mean, I don't even know if most journalists will even find there to be much of a point of digging into the Hillary emails at this point. You know, there were tens of thousands of new emails dumped on the weekend before the election, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And it's, it's just, there's so much information to have to comb through it and, and to fairly figure out how this happened. And I think all that people are concerned about right now, it seems like, is, well, why did the electorate choose Trump? You know, that's the angle that everyone's going for. Like, yep. we need to re-examine a middle America and we need to examine, you know, American voters. Well, I think what we need to re-examine the voting results. Yep. We need to re-examine how Trump was able to operate on all these different flanks and use all these different angles, just Rorschach, people into in the conspiracy movement on the left um, to think that he was even anti-war or that he was going to blow up a 9-11 I mean to me those are the things that need to be looked at because I think they had a very powerful effect um, that I'm just only starting to realize in the last couple of days and isn't it just like this country
0: to not even allow us to enjoy Hillary Clinton being destroyed (laughs) <laughs> yeah, You know exactly. what I mean? I, I feel, yeah. I've I waited so yeah. long to watch her collapse and to watch the Clinton machine be dismantled and, and, and in a shambles and I can't even enjoy it. God damn it.
1: That's not fair. That's, well, I, I, I was telling this to my wife uh, over the weekend leading into this, uh, the actual you know voting day itself. I was like, there's a roadmap here for a Hillary Clinton impeachment. Like the more Julian Assange or WikiLeaks keeps dumping these emails – like it's here. Like I can already, I can feel that there's enough <laughs> evidence here where once she gets in office, we might actually see her impeach. And that and that started started to be my narrative, you know, so I started to get excited for that. Um, and uh, look what happened. I know. So we'll, we'll have to start collecting a dossier on how to impeach Trump.
0: I, at this point, I'm not sure I want to. I'm scared. <laughs> I'm scared what will happen if they impeach Trump.
1: Good. It's a good point. I mean, there's so many angles to look at this from that I think. I mean, that's definitely one of them. It's the same reason I never wanted Bush impeached. Why?
0: What's the point? So that Cheney would have formal presidency? You know, authority? Come on.
1: Yeah, they would have to impeach the whole cabinet. I mean, you'd have to almost like impeach his whole entire. cabinet yeah i think the guillotine would have been more appropriate but um (laughs)
0: okay we'll have to leave it there uh robbie martin thanks for coming on the show he is the co-host of the media roots podcast he's a filmmaker definitely check out a very heavy agenda it is well worth your time so much information about the neocons and so much more a very a very heavy agenda.com follow robbie on twitter at fluorescent gray robbie martin thanks for coming on counterpunch radio
1: Thanks so much for having me, Eric.
0: Listeners, thank you again, and uh, I'll speak to you again real soon.